0: night. Hello, cocktail lovers. Welcome to Paris Cocktail Talk, the show brought to you by the 52 Martini's Guide to Paris Cocktail Bars. I'm Forrest Collins, and I'm here to talk to you about the trends and traditions of drinking in France. I have Alison Eastaway in the studio with me today, and we're going to talk about um, her shop is Cavewoman Wines. We're going to talk about that, but we're also going to talk about um, creating a, a safe space in France, some of the barriers for enthusiastic beginners to really enjoy wine and find things on their own so we're going to talk around these like these kind of ideas and I'm excited to dig into that a little bit deeper with her on this show so um, welcome Allison thanks for joining me
1: thanks for having me Forrest so um, first of all why don't you
0: just tell the listeners tell the listeners about Cavewoman Wines and, and, and what it is and why you started it
1: yeah, absolutely. So cableman Wines uh, is my wine store and tasting room. Um, and we opened a little under a year ago um, in Paris's 11th district. Um, and basically the idea behind Cable Wines was to find a um, you basically create a space where people could feel really at home uh, in the world of wine. Um, and for those of you who've been in store, uh, the store is sort of decorated. It looks a little bit like someone's living room. Um, I always say to people, it's um, think of your favorite aunt or grandmother, depending on families, and and, and that should be that warm, welcoming feel. Um, So that's both in the aesthetics and in the actual experience of buying wine. Um, And I wanted the experience of buying wine to be just that, to be actually a really nice experience, Um, not just a transaction. If If you're just looking for a bottle of wine, Um, here in France, you can grab that at the supermarket or you could very easily order that online. Um, But people go out of their way to go to specialty stores. And I wanted that to be really kind of, you know, a five minute sort of parentheses in our busy Parisian lives and have it be, yeah, a really nice thing to pop into Cable and Wines and of course leave with a great bottle.
0: Yeah. Well, um, excuse me. As you know, I have been into the shop and it's great. It's great. I love it. Um, I love the big tasting space in the back and um, it's got, lots of bottles but you know not so many that you feel just overwhelmed and totally lost and you know it's it's easy to navigate it does feel like you're in someone's home so I really enjoy it it's a good addition to the wine shop space in France so let's talk a little bit about when we were talking about doing an interview for this show um you had suggested this idea of enthusiastic beginners and um and and I like that but you also talked about the creation of a safe space so first let's talk about what do you think it's like in France for beginners, kind of coming into the wine world? How are they received? Um, how how are they made to feel? Uh, kind of expand on that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's two sides to that, right? So there's beginners from a professional sense, whether that's me who has been a caviste, so a wine cellar uh, owner. For 10 months um which is you know absolute infancy when it comes to the wine world um i didn't previously work in wine um and you know similarly when you have a new uh you know a new sommelier starting or you have somebody who's just sort of getting into wine um from a professional point of view, there's this sort of double-edged sword of being so enthusiastic um, to discover a new subject. And, and wine is one of those that you could really sort of go for for decades and, and not have really cracked everything there is to know. And that's what makes it so fascinating. And then this need for sort of immediate credibility and legitimacy. Um, and that's something that I always, uh, you know, in, in various stages of my professional life, I always sort of wanted to walk that line between um, remaining you know, curious and humble enough um, to realize how much there was left to learn, um, but also to be generous with the things I'd already learned um, and things that were maybe hard won and to share that with other people. Um, so I think there's that side on on the professional side. It's how do you continue learning and gain in knowledge and not sort of, for want of a better word, weaponize that knowledge um, against those who know less. Um, and you know that's sort of true in any discipline. I used to run very long distances for fun, um, and now I drink wine. Um, and you would sort of see on the starting line of a 10-kilometer race in Paris, you would have these sort of brand new experts um, who, you know, had sort of 50, you know, gels and tools, and yeah. they had all the technical gear. Mm-hmm. On the starting line of an ultra marathon, you would see people who, you know, I used to say you would give up your seat on the bus um, for for the people on this starting line, and these people would outrun you out pace you they would be the ones encouraging you at three o'clock in the morning to keep running so I always sort of think true expertise looks a bit more like that um and that's very generous so that from a professional point of view is what I've always looked at from a customer point of view or from a from a consumer point of view um if you're just starting to drink wine or just starting to drink better quality wine is probably the way to put it most of us have had some exposure particularly in France have had some exposure to drinking wine um you know, sort of in, in, in younger years, but you sort of hit a certain stage where you go, well, actually I can start buying bottles that are maybe above that seven euro sort of supermarket range. And and you step into the cannabis for the first time and you could be in your thirties or your forties. You could be French, um, just like you could be a visitor. Um, And that's, that's a tough place to be because you're stepping into an expert's world. Um, And culturally, I was speaking about this with one of my French winemakers yesterday, culturally, in France, if you want to get good service, you have to make sure everybody knows not to mess with you. So that sort of comes off in a bit of bravado and a bit of, well, here are the things I know. So you'd better sort of be up to the task versus sort of in the, in the American English and English speaking world, the nicer you are, the more likely you are to get better service. Um, and that looks like not showing off your knowledge. That looks like being quite deferent. Um, so that's kind of a, an interesting dichotomy because I serve both populations. Um, so I need to be able to put, um, you know, both sets of customers at ease and to say, you know, one of the more common phrases I hear in the store since opening is, oh, hi, um, I need a bottle of wine, but I don't really know anything about wine. Um, and I love that that's something that people f- feel very comfortable saying at Cavewoman and they should. Um, and my answer is always the same, which is that's fine um that's what I'm here for um and also all you need to know is what do you feel like um and that might be today or in general or that might be you know describe paint me a picture describe me a mood um and we can probably find a wine for that um and so I think it's creating space for that um on the French side you don't so much get I don't know very much about wine you get I'd love a Cote d'Or, and you say okay great and take them over to the Cote duon, sort of regional section and then they kind of say oh but what about a Pinot Noir and I go oh, okay Um, Interesting, Pinot Noir is not a grape that typically grows in the Côte d'Iron, it's quite a different style. And so you sort of have to navigate from that and say, okay, there's a familiarity around this region but they're curious about uh, lighter style wines. Okay, so how can I take those two bits of information um, and not say not say to someone, well, Pinot Noir doesn't grow in the Cote you know, make up your mind. That's two different directions. How can I kind of take that and say, oh, well, you know what I've been really loving is this wine that grows in the Loire Valley. It's a Malbec grape, it's heavier, but because of the climate in the Loire, uh, it's much lighter. So that might be a nice in-between if you're sort of hesitating. And that can tend to open up a conversation and say, actually, what is the difference between a Cotillon and a a Loire Valley Red? I didn't know. So that's all I'm trying to do is sort of rather than stopping people and and cutting things short, I want to open up sort of possibilities.
0: Well, excuse me. Uh, I like that. And you know, you're talking about these people walking in saying, I know nothing about wine. What do I do? I know a fair amount about wine, but I still walk into a Caviste and kind of go, Ugh, I need something, but I don't know what, you know, I'm going to somebody's house. I don't know what they want. I don't know. So, um, so I think, you know, these are kind of nice things to think about kind of even, you know, beyond the beginner level, but I want to just talk a little bit more about, so when you kind of, when you reach out to these, it sounds like, especially the, the, um, non-French um, guests that come in and and you kind of want to get to the space of what do you feel like? Can, can we d- like drill down into that a little bit more? Like, um, uh, do you, I, I'm not formulating this question very well, but what I'm trying to get to is a way to help people who are beginners or who are about to walk into, or who will at some point in time in the near future, walk into a wine store. What should they be like looking at for themselves? Like identifying, how do I feel? I feel happy. So I, that means maybe I want something that's a, you know, bright and cheery, uh, minerally white. I don't know. Um, how do you translate like how the person's feeling to the wine choice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I think, um, wine, like anything is highly contextual. Uh, um, and one of the things, uh, that it's so wonderful about drinks and, you know, in the same way, perfume in the same way, um, it, you know, various things could places can, can bring us back. Um, what we were drinking, um, can also help create memories. Um, And so a lot of particularly my my customers who are visitors to Paris have a really sort of specific experience that they're going for. Um, And it might be the South African couple who came in last week and they were going down to the Eiffel Tower in that sort of brief period of sunshine we had earlier in the month. Um, They were heading down for a picnic in front of the Eiffel Tower. Um, People have a really specific idea about what their trip to Paris might look like and and, and what they want to drink there. now you could just as easily take a big, bold bottle of red to a picnic in front of the Eiffel Tower, as you could take a cold bottle of champagne, as you could take some rosé. But chances are they've been imagining this moment for a little while. Um, And you can sort of start to say, okay, what are we feeling? Are we thinking, um, you know, are we thinking it's going to be sort of uh, 11pm and the lights are coming on and that's when we pop a bottle of champagne and there's this festive sparkling and everything going on? Is this more of a you know, it's early afternoon, we have a dinner to get to, so we don't want to drink anything too heavy. So let's go with something low alcohol, easy drinking, don't think about it, um, you know, or do we always drink big, bold reds at home and we want to see how the French things stand up to it? So there's usually a few sort of follow-up questions. Um, it's not so much the questioning as the um, sort of giving a first answer and see, judging the reaction and say, okay, that doesn't seem to be landing. Okay, should we go more in this direction? It's more of a decision tree, I guess. Um And I find people connect connect very emotionally to stories around wine. Um, And that's also why you go to the cabbie, I think, as well, is because you want to know a story about who's making the wine. Um, You want to know a story about other people who've maybe drunk that wine. Um, And that's what I really like about my role, which is, um, you know, sort of nine times out of 10, there's a couple of exceptions, um, in some regions where they sort of aggregate, um, some of the supply, but nine times out of 10, I've personally met the person who has their hands, you know, in the vines and, 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 uh, who's working the wine. I've definitely tasted the wine on several occasions. Um, you know, we, we, we have some history. I've probably sold it to sort of, you know, 10 other customers. So this wine now, even just from the 10 months of me having the store has its own kind of community, um, And I think sharing those stories and that emotional connection at the end of the day, wine is fermented grape juice. Um, It cannot solve all of life's problems, unfortunately, Um, but it's a really nice sort of, you know, companion for the journey. Um, And a lot of that's about, you know, the person who made it, other people who are drinking it, the possibilities of the evening you might have or the afternoon you might have when you open this bottle. And I think that's part of the job is to go beyond just describing the tannins and the flavors and the things you'll find in the bottle and to sort of suggesting and maybe planting the seed of, you know, what, what kind of a life you might have. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's the fun of it.
0: Yeah. I think, well, stories definitely sell people relate to stories. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's nice. I like to have that story around there. So, uh,
1: um, can you talk a little bit about how you go about choosing the wines, uh, for the shop? Yeah. So there's, and this is a probably a disputable figure, but there's about 38,000, um, independent winemakers in France. So that's, that's a lot. Um, you could spend your life just tasting and, and, and sort of making a ranking and, and, and that would be a very fun job, but I'm not sure it would make a wine store work. Um, so you need a sort of angle of attack in any case. Um, and when people are starting out, they can have a tendency to want to go for some safe choices. Um, when you're making a selection, you go, okay, well, I want to make sure I've got things, winemakers that people will recognize and store. There's a certain brand reassurance. Um, and sort of early on, I, I toyed with that and I went, well, actually, no, let's, uh, I'd be very happy if the first time anyone's drinking um, this particular bottle of wine was in my store. I'd love to work with winemakers maybe who don't have a huge distribution yet. Um and and then i was relatively pragmatic uh we're we're quite spoiled in in paris having sort of big wine fairs twice yearly um for professionals and also um for the open to the public and I would sort of, as much as possible, grab the list of uh, uh, people who are attending and try and see which names look like they might be run by women. Um, that's not always easy to navigate. A lot of the houses that are run by women um, still carry the name Père et fils, so father and son in French. Um, some that have uh, a woman's name, it might not actually be uh, her who's uh, still making the wine. So my fairly unscientific backup option is to show up to the wine fairs, look around and see which women are behind which booths and go up and chat with them. And and, you know, most of the time that's the winemaker. Sometimes it's not, um, but most of the time it is. And so navigating like that. So I more or less composed the wine list 75% instinctually by going and meeting people and tasting things. Um, and then I looked at where I had gaps and then I asked for some recommendations from the winemakers I already had Um and uh, and that's more or less how we built the initial list. Um, and then over time of having the store, people very often recommend me uh, winemakers if they fit the criteria, which is independent um, and either female made wines uh, as in a female winemaker or at least 50 percent of the domain is economically controlled by a woman. Generally, I'll try it. Um, and then, of course, you're always keeping in mind what your colleagues in the area stock Um I personally sort of think there's way more to a wine store than the selection of wines. It's it's an it's a bit of everything, so I don't mind a bit of crossover with with any of my neighbouring wine shops. Even more so if it's a winemaker who's very sought after, it can be great. One of us is out of stock, you can send them across the road. That's uh, that's always a nice thing. Um, that said, people, in sh- people who come in and buy a bottle of champagne often say, okay, well, do you have a Drapier? Do you have a Dattanger? Do you have pommery?" And I kind of say, well, no, but can I introduce to to five sort of amazing women in champagne? Um, and I like that generally speaking, nobody knows, uh, most of my producers.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think that's a really interesting thing specifically about champagne is, you know, I, the, the big brand names are, are, you know, nice, but you can find so many more little interesting grower champagnes and, and what have you. And, and you can also find those names in any shop. I mean, there's a, there's, there's a wine shop on every single corner in France, in Paris. So, um, so they don't have to go to you to get, you know, the Tatanger, which is a lovely bottle of wine. I wouldn't say no if somebody <laughs> wanted to bring one to me, but um, yeah. So I think that's really interesting. Have you noticed anything now talking about the wine fairs? I think the first time I met you in person actually was at the Salon de Vigneron and, um, uh, maybe you spend all your time talking to only women, but just anecdotally, have you do you notice a difference in the way that when you're talking to women winemakers there or women you know representatives versus male? Um, it, how they kind of interact about the wine or maybe interact with you as a woman?
1: Um, so I've almost universally had good experiences with winemakers with independent winemakers. Um, I uh, women and men in the space. Um that's one of the reasons I sort of chose this angle of working in wine, which is, um, winemakers are essentially, I mean, they're, uh, farmers, uh, agriculture is their thing. And, and, and they're really not salespeople, um, which is probably my favorite thing about going to those salons, which is sometimes it's a little bit um, like sort of getting water from a stone, um, getting some info because, you know, they just want to be in their vines. Um, They don't necessarily want to be in this crowded sort of hall talking to people all day. Um, So have you uh, uniformly had good experiences with winemakers themselves, with the independents? Um, I've all of the less than shiny experiences I've had have been with sort of intermediaries, which um, whether that be distributors or whether that be agents or whether that be sort of sales reps. Um, And, you know, the one of the huge advantages and privileges of working for yourself of having a brand that's relatively uh, opinionated cave woman wines. For those of you who don't know, our logo is pink. Our facade of the store is pink. Um, It's, relatively, I'm, you know, it's relatively obvious what you're going to get. Um, and that helps also people self-select out if that's really not their thing, they're probably not going to bother coming to tell me uh, that it's not their thing. Um, so that's all by design. Um, that said, I've certainly, there are distributors I won't work with, um, just, you know, and, and just basically, very casual sexism um you know sort of being stopped at the entrance to a um to a professional wine event that I was invited to saying oh sorry mademoiselle this is only for professionals instead of asking who I was um and uh, you know being uh, being at that wine fair where we met um, sort of standing in front of one large name uh, champagne house and with four men who were also tasting and having my glass be systematically passed over for pouring um And, you know, it's small things, but it it really, really sticks with you. And, and, you know, that particular champagne house, I will no longer buy bottles of, and I won't work with them. And that's a pity. Um, they make really great things, but you know, there are so many to choose from that, that kind of experience matters. And since I work solo at the store, um, if you're going to surround yourself and if I'm going to on-sell and therefore contribute to the profits of anyone, I want that to be people who are aligned with my values. That's the absolute sort of baseline.
0: Yeah. Um, absolutely. And, uh, that kind of thing does matter because you know as soon as I turn off the recording on this, I'm going to ask you what champagne house that is. And that's going to stick with me too now. And I'm going to also probably mention it to other people. So and I've also had that same experience at, you know, at these salons where kind of this systematic overlooking of my glass and, you know, lots of big chat with the you kind of blustery guys who were talking to him, uh, chat, chat, but, you know, me just standing in the corner there now. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and hopefully, hopefully that's something that's changing and hopefully, you know, bringing new players onto the scene like cave woman is something that will, you know, eventually kind of make a bigger sea change, but yeah, I think it's very interesting. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So as we're kind of, kind of moving closer to the end of the half hour, I just want to circle a tiny bit back to what we started talking about in the beginning, which was creating the safe space and allowing people to feel comfortable. So obviously, if people are in France and they don't feel comfortable, um, they can come into the shop. But any other tips or thoughts on just you know, cause I feel this way too. Spirits are, they're intimidating and I, and bars are intimidating. And I say this to my industry friends all the time. You don't understand how scary it is for someone to walk into a bar and for you to say, what would you like to drink? Cause they're just like, oh, I'm going to make the wrong, I'm going to, I'm going to make the wrong choice. I'm going to look bad. I'm going to embarrass myself in front of my friends, in front of this like cool bartender. Um, so it's, it's tough and it's scary. And I just want to tell people just breathe, like, don't worry about them. Just be confident, feel comfortable, but that's easier said than done. Um, any thoughts or tips from you on how people can go into these spaces that are intimidating and not be so stressed about it?
1: Yeah, I think, um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we have the luxury it's, uh, you know, it's wine. We're not, we're not saving lives, which is great. Um, I think I'd be very bad at that. Um, and that, I think at the end of the day, you know, these aren't, um, it's not the end of the world. And I think it's take as much time as you need, particularly, you know, the French are well known for taking their sweet time. If you've ever been behind them in a market stall or in any kind of busy situation. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Take as much time as you need, ask as many questions, hesitate, have a look around. And if you end up choosing a bottle because you think the label is beautiful, that's just fine. Because my job is to make sure that that pretty labeled bottle is also good quality wine. Um, um, you know and i hear that a lot where people say oh i just want a beautiful bottle and i pass this on to my winemaker friend saying you know you're already doing the hard work of making delicious wine let's also upgrade this sort of uh, you know outdated uh, label because you know, people shop aesthetically as well. Um, Oof, and of course, yeah, the spirits industry seems to understand that a little better as well, because they're objects for display. Um, you don't hide them down in your, in, in your cabin. Um, you know, I've got some beautiful bottles of spirits that have been offered to me over the years and and, and wine bottle wise. It's true. You have, you go, Oh, don't look at the label. It's, it's delicious. I promise you. Um, so I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, all that matters is that you enjoy it and you want to drink a second glass. So, um, I think ask as many questions as you need. Say no, if someone's describing something that doesn't really sound like your deal. Um, I have the advantage of having a terrible poker face. So when I'm being sort of told options by the glass in a bar, um, I don't mean to, but they go, okay, well, clearly not that one. Uh, i say, oh, well, sorry. Yes, that's true. I was going, oh, gross. No, um, doesn't sound like me at all. Even though it's a lovely wine, it's just not me. Uh, and I think put in a bit of time to Figure out um what it is you don't like about wine, and I think that's the hardest part is the vocabulary. Um, I teach uh, teach is a big word. I host, I I facilitate, I pour um wines uh for a tasting event that I call French Wine One Hundred and One at the store, which I find a lot of visitors to France really benefit from because they understand because we basically go over how the French um divide up the the wine world by regions versus grapes um, and how they could sort of cheat um, the system. You know, if, if you want something big and bold, probably go somewhere where there's a lot of sunshine. If you want something lighter and fresher, stay north of the country. You know, these sort of easy cheat things around how you could navigate a bit better and sort of mapping either American wine regions, Australian wine regions, new world stuff to France um, so that people have a better chance of getting something they like um, and some of that vocabulary. So that's something that I do for groups of sort of four and above, you know, at the moment, almost every week. Um, And that can help give you a bit of vocabulary, but there's two or three things that can help you get served a bit better wine, but the answer is, you know, and and if they give you things to taste, particularly when it's in a wine bar and they're pouring by the glass, you know, we're not talking a restaurant situation where you've committed to a bottle, but if they're pouring you small taste and you don't like it, go to something else. Um, you know, you're more than welcome saying no, I think is a French invention. So uh, you're more than welcome to use that tool. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, you know,
0: me as an American, it's always my tendency to, yes, we could do that. You know, I've just, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, but in France it's no, 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 no. So yeah, I think that um it's not as as it's not it's considered um as abrasive in France to hear no as it is in the US. So I think that's true. Um you're talking about your classes, I'm assuming they're on the website. So if I put the link to your website in the show notes, people can find those classes. I'm also hope this is okay. Going to give a little plug for my friend, Jennifer Greco's classes that are happening there. Listeners, you might um, recognize the name Jennifer Greco because I do the cocktails and cheese pairings with her that are pop up on the site from time to time. And she's also been a guest on the show. And we've talked about cocktail cheese pairing. She does wine and cheese pairing workshop um, at Cavewoman Wine. So I'll put links to those in there as well. And we're getting real close now to the end of the half hour, so we're going to jump right into the cocktail of the month. And sound, uh, you've got a special one that I'm, I'm excited for you to share. So tell the listeners what it is and give them the recipe.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um I was visiting uh, my native Australia um, uh, right before the pandemic, actually. Well, we didn't know what was coming. Um And my mother and I uh, took a little trip to Melbourne. I'm originally from Sydney. Um, and there is a restaurant I've been dying to try. I have the book in the store, actually, um, if anyone wants to flip through it called Eat at the Bar. Um, and it's basically a couple who traveled all over Europe and found that you could have the most delicious foods sitting up at the counter and um, in places like Spain, in France, in Italy. And they thought, well, what if we brought that to Australia? So I was sort of dying to see the Australian take on European cuisine. So it's called Bar Larinha in Melbourne um, and took my mum there for for, for dinner. Um, And whilst we had some delicious wine and some delicious tapas, um, it came up in conversation that mom had never had an espresso martini before. Um, and we thought, well, we have to fix this tonight. Um, and so instead of having dessert, we had an espresso martini, which is the way I like to have my uh, sweet cocktails. Um, I don't have much of a sweet tooth, but if I'm going to have dessert, I'd rather it be alcoholic. Um and, um, I think possibly I did her a disservice because we started with what I think is the world's best espresso martini. And she's been sort of looking at every time she has one now, she's, we sort of say, oh, it's not as good as the Barlarino one. Um, and apparently their secret is to use some sweet sherry. Um, so, uh, I have the recipe and, and, and we can probably share the link as well. Basically dark rum, 30 mils of, uh, dark rum, 30 mils of freshly brewed espresso, 15 mils of Pedro Ximenez and 15 mils of Lucano Cordial Cafe, which is an Italian coffee liqueur. So none of the usual suspects in there, shaken over ice, and they serve it with a chocolate curl. Um, And I don't know if it was the low lighting or the company, um, but that's probably the nicest cocktail I've ever had.
0: That sounds great. I will put the recipe. I'll write the recipe out in the show notes as well. And if you send me the link, I'll include that and make sure to make mention of the, of the location. So, um, that's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks Forrest. And with that, um, I think that's a wrap for this month's show. Uh, if you want to get more cocktail talk in between shows, Or um, head over to the website, www.52martinis.com. If you want to carry me around in your pocket for guidance on cocktail bars in Paris and where to go, Uh, download the iOS app, Paris Cocktails. And um, yeah, tune in next month. Uh, uh, Thanks to World Radio Paris for editing and production. Thank you to Sun Little for the music that we use. And um, until next time, cheers. (laughs)